I'll begin with verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If that seems familiar to you, we did a series back in November, December called Jesus Talks, Ideas Worth Spreading. Of course, we're playing off of the thing they call TED Talks. If you've ever watched TED Talks online of uh, these short talks given with uh, powerful ideas worth, that they believe are worth spreading, right? And, uh, and there, a lot of those are really good to watch and, and become really popular. And uh, so as, as I was thinking about this uh, series that we're just, we may just come back to it from time to time because there's so many good ideas that Jesus had that are worth spreading. And sometimes I think we tend to think of Jesus in a box. We kind of put him in a box. He's, he's in the Savior box. Maybe even the King box, which is a good box to put Jesus in, in the sense that he is those things to us. Uh, but before he was known as Savior and before he was known as King or before he was known as the Son of God or the Messiah or the Christ or any of those things, Jesus was known to his followers, to his disciples, as teacher. As teacher. And uh, that's the nature of a teacher-disciple relationship. Uh, a disciple is someone who follows someone around to learn from them. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he, after he had died and resurrected and he was going to be taken up into heaven, he was leaving them uh, in the physical form for the final time, for a long time, he said to them, go and make more disciples from all the nations and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Now, we've gone and made a lot of disciples, I guess, and we've baptized a bunch of them. I'm not sure how many of them were teaching to obey all that Jesus commanded. Because for us, so many times we think of Jesus as a Savior, and we've forgotten that he was a teacher first. But it seems clear that Jesus saw himself as a teacher and saw that role as not diminishing when he left, but as increasing when he left. That in fact... He would become teacher to all nations. That people from all nations would come out and choose to be in a discipleship relationship with him. And would call him teacher as well as Lord. That his ideas that he put forth were the best ideas. Sometimes we read the teachings of Jesus as commands. As another stone tablet handed down on a mountainside. But in fact, Jesus 
isn't really offering a new set of commands. He's talking about a new way to live, a new way to be, not a new way to behave. And when you become someone different, sure, you behave differently than the old you. But it's important to distinguish, because otherwise, if we just take these as another stone tablet, we're going to keep on feeling the same burden of weight on our shoulders that we can never measure up to. But if we embrace these ideas as, as fresh ways to be, uh, as, as ideas that can transform our mind and therefore transform our, our bodies, that, that our will can be realigned to be in line with His will by the power of His Holy Spirit. If we believe those things that He taught, then, then these things, these ideas that He shares are things that if we think, think about them and if we meditate on them, they have the power to transform who we are from the inside out. And those are ideas worth spreading. It's a whole new way of being human. It's life in the kingdom of God. And that's another way of saying life under His will. That's another way of saying living as we were designed by our Creator to live instead of living in rebellion to the way that He designed us to live. And we believe that the way you were designed to live can become the way you are destined to be. That, that the person who you were designed to be can be not only who you were designed to be in the past, but who you're destined to become by the power of Jesus Christ at work in you, by His Holy Spirit, and by His Word. And so we're exploring these ideas, and they're really practical ideas. A lot of what we learn about Jesus' teachings come from the teachings of His apostles. And the Gospels, in large part, focus on the events of His life. But they also include His teachings. And sometimes they're difficult. And the people even that were there listening had a hard time understanding exactly what He was saying. So it's really helpful for us that His apostles went on and explained things in letters to the early church. And we can work with those too. But we've been exploring just words of Jesus and, and how, what they mean and, and how, can they, how can we apply these and think about them in our lives. And today we're talking about something as practical as money or material wealth and possessions. Things that do occupy a lot of our time and a lot of our effort and a lot of our thought and a lot of our stress. Right? Raise your hand if you have not stressed about money in the last month. <laughs> We're few and far between. And the funny thing is, it doesn't matter whether you have a little or a lot. We all stress about it. You know, sometimes we think, if I could just have this amount of money, then I wouldn't worry about money anymore. Or I could feel peace because I would feel secure if I had this much set aside in the bank. But it never works that way. Just talk to the people that have that much. Or just look at them. One such man came to Jesus once. He was stressed about money. And recently, his parents had passed away. And as was the custom in that day, the greater portion of the inheritance went to the firstborn son and doubtless in his stress he felt like 
that his brother should have shared some more of it with him to ease his financial burden, that the brother had more than enough and he needed more and it just wasn't fair and this whole system wasn't fair. You ever hear people say that the system isn't fair these days? Just read the newspapers. Jesus just said, look man, I, who made me the judge that's going to decide who gets what in your family? Like, you know, this isn't family court. <laughs> you know, this, this isn't Judge Judy. We're not going to divvy this up for you here today. But let me warn you about something while you're bringing this up to me. You should beware of all kinds of greed. Because life consists of more than an abundance of possessions. And he tells them this story about a guy who was a farmer and he had a bumper crop. Like when I'm saying he's a farmer, he was like a lord of farmers, right? Like he had people farming for him and, and he had lots of land and all. And this year it was just unbelievable. Multiple times what he expected to harvest came in and he didn't have room for it in his barns. So he tore those barns down and built huge barns. And he saved, set it all in there and he said, you know what? I've got enough here that I can just coast from here on out and just enjoy what I've stored up for myself. And he sat back and began to plan what he was going to eat and drink and how he was going to be merry and throw parties and the good life that he was going to enjoy. And God said, you fool. For this very day, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. And then what will come of all these things that you've stored up for yourself? Jesus tells this story and he says this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. What's our relationship to money and things? We live in a physical world and we have physical needs. We have material needs in this material world. We, we can't just not have material stuff. Sometimes it's hard to tell what's a need and what's a want. Things that feel like needs, if we're honest, oftentimes aren't. So what should our relationship be to money and things? Should we just give it all away and live out of a backpack and travel around with nothing, just totally relying on God? Should we... Should we have a decent house to raise our family in? Should we have a really nice house to raise our family in? Like, what should be our relationship to money and things? These, these things occupy so much of our thoughts, so much of our effort, so much of our life is spent earning money to spend on things, to pay off debts. Jesus' ideas on money are powerful, and we're going to explore some of them Today, it would be helpful, I think, if we bear that in mind, that story that he told. These ideas are meant for real people, dealing with real issues in life, just like that man was. And in this passage, in this, that we often call the Sermon on the Mount, a collection of Jesus' teachings, we read where he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
I don't know about you, but I grew up hearing that teaching, that verse, because I grew up in church. And, and I guess I've always had this image in my head that the way this worked was that if you uh, lived according to God's plans, if you lived a moral good life, that what you were doing through doing those things is, is making deposits in your heaven bank account and that someday when St. Peter rolls back that pearly gate and says come on in, he's going to lead you to an extra large mansion because of all the good things that you've done and stored up for yourself and that your bank account number would then be handed to you, your heaven one, and it would be loaded with all the you know, spare change that you've added up and accumulated over a lifetime of doing good deeds and living a good life. So that the goal then is to say, well, you know, who cares about right now? Maybe I'll be poor for, you know, 50, 60, 80 years, whatever time God gives me here. But then I'm going to be rolling in dough in heaven. I don't think that's actually the point. Let's talk about treasures. Let's talk about heaven and earth. Sometimes we have that picture of heaven and earth. As earth is where we live now and heaven's where we'll live forever. I'm not sure that's an entirely accurate picture. I'm not sure it's an entirely biblical picture. Part of our hope is that someday Christ will return and set up a new heaven and earth. And that we will live in the new heavens and earth that some spiritual cloud in the sky is not your eternal destination, that that is where those we've lost in Christ are with him now in the heavens, in that spiritual realm, but we long for the day when Jesus returns, makes all things new, including our bodies, new physical bodies resurrect and res like his resurrected body. That's, this is the Christian hope. Uh, so let's talk for a moment about what Jesus and what Jewish people in his day meant when they said heavens and earth. Earth was the physical realm. The heavens were the spiritual realm. The heavens were the space around us. The unseen. It's where God dwelt. And God is spirit, not flesh. And so God dwells in the heavens. He doesn't dwell way upstairs where you have to shout a long ways for him to hear you. He lives in the heavens, which is a spiritual realm around us, but unseen. When Jesus says, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth, but in heaven, he's not saying transfer it upstairs to wait for you till you get there. He's talking about two different bank accounts, two different kinds of banks. Right, there's a bank that holds earthly currency until you die, and then it passes it on to someone else or whatever until they waste it and so forth. All right? And then there's a heavenly bank that stores up a different kind of currency. It's a different kind of wealth. It, but that bank 
is with God in the heavens. And as such, it can't be destroyed. It's, it's like the safest bank on earth. You thought it was somewhere in Switzerland, but it's not. It's in the heavens with God. There's a place, no, there's a, there's a type of treasure that you can store up that doesn't fade. It belongs to a different sort of bank and a different sort of realm. Jesus is asking, which kind of treasure do you treasure? The kind that belongs in earthly banks that's here for now and yeah we need it and we use it but it's not like it lasts forever it's not like it's real in that sense of permanent or then there's a wealth that is permanent what do you treasure at the end of this little teaching he says no one can serve two masters like you need to pick which treasure your heart is set on because you can't be set on both either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money I think we've mentioned before that when Jesus uses teachings as was common in his day he uses a lot of hyperbole which is like a, a tool of exaggeration to make a point and oftentimes, you know, I read that, I'm like, man, you got to hate it. But the point was more about priorities. Like, despising one is to say, this doesn't matter. To love one is to say, this is what matters. It's not that you want to kill the thing that doesn't matter. It's just a priority thing, right? Like, you, can, you, can't, you can't prioritize both at the same time as the top thing that you're chasing after because you won't, you won't get either, right? <laughs> it's not going to work out. You, you're going to need to pick which one you're going to focus on, which one you're going to pursue. This is kind of like a question of do you have stuff or does stuff have you? And I put this in your, on your note card thinking that this was going to be kind of my main point today or the main takeaway from this passage of scripture but as I kind of reworked through it after I had already made the slides and your note cards and everything I just thought you know I don't think that's the main main thing that we need to take away from this but it's still worth it's good and this is more clever than the other thing that I'm going to tell you in a minute but <laughs> do you have stuff or does stuff have you is a question worth asking and it really comes down to that priority and that issue do you have stuff or does stuff have you Who's your God? Who are you serving? Are you serving possessions? Or are possessions working for you? How do you view them? If we prioritize God, and we believe that everything that we have is from Him, on loan to us, to be stewards of it, managers of it, then we hold it more loosely in terms of whatever He would have us do with it. We'd be glad to do. It's his. And in that sense, then we have stuff. It doesn't have us. 
It's a tool that we use for the kingdom. It's a tool that we use to serve others, to serve our families. There's a teaching in between these two bookends. You know, the first part that Jesus said about don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. And the last part where he says you can't serve two masters. And then right smack in the middle of that is this passage. That seems, at first glance, at least to me, completely unrelated and confusing. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And in a different gospel, in Luke's gospel, he talks about the eyes as a window with the same kind of message. They thought of eyes differently, I think, than we do. Uh, they probably didn't know all the science of the eye like we do, of how it's just like a sensory receptacle that sends signals to your brain that, that interprets the light and the colors and all those things that we see. Um, in their day, with a lot of people who were blind or partially blind or, uh, due to injury or birth defects or whatever the case may be, uh, they understood that your eyes, when they were healthy, allowed you to see light. Allowed light in. And if they weren't good, then everything inside went dark. <laughs> that you, you know, like someone who was slowly going blind would slowly see the lights turning off. People still experience that today, right? It's slowly getting darker. So Jesus is at first just kind of stating the obvious, right? Like, if your eye goes bad, you're not going to see. <laughs> the light's not going to come in. And if, you're, if your eye is healthy, then the light's going to... Thank you, Jesus. Yes, that's good. <laughs> what does that have to do with money? Our eyes represent what we look at. You might say they represent our focus, our attention. If you're talking to me and I'm looking you in the eye, you know that you have my attention. My focus is on you. If, on the other hand, I'm sort of looking beyond you, or glazing over, <laughs> or looking somewhere else even, or walking away. Have you ever had that happen? I had a, a friend in college who was kind of known for this. It's like you'd be talking to him and then he'd just walk away. <laughs> We're not friends today. I don't even know where he lives. <laughs> Our eyes represent what we pay attention to, what we focus on. Jesus seems to be saying... What you focus on determines whether you're looking at things that are healthy or not healthy, right? That you're, either your eyes are going to be healthy and your focus is going to be healthy or it's going to be unhealthy. And think about this. If what you're looking at is darkness, then this lamp, this window is going to be flooding you with darkness 
if the light within you is darkness, if even the thing that you're focused on and so captivated by and dazzled by, if it is darkness, then how great is the darkness within you? That what we focus on matters. If you're focused on earthly treasures, then you'll actually end up in darkness. And that would be really dark. But if you set your eyes on the things of the Spirit, or the things of the heavens, the treasures of the heavens, then your source of light would be light indeed. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What do we pay attention to? What do we, what do we view as treasure? What do you see as most valuable? Like I say, I used to think that it was about doing good things here to earn a currency there, to you know, enjoy a richer lifestyle when I was walking the streets of gold. I have a little jingle in my pocket, right? And people look at me and be like, yeah, he must have lived a good life. Look at him. I don't think that's the point. Here's what I'd like you to write down if you're a writer-downer kind of person. If you treasure, if you treasure what can never be taken, you'll always be rich. If you treasure right now what can never be taken, then you'll always be rich. There is a kind of treasure. It's not the kind that you find on the banks of earth. It's not the kind that you're going to find at the store or on Amazon. There's a type of possession that if it's what you treasure, then you'll never be poor. It's a treasure that's stored in heaven's banks. It's a spiritual treasure. And if we treasure it, then we'll always have joy and peace and security because we will always be rich. Think about it. If what, if what gives you happiness and joy and peace and security is something that's temporary by very nature, something that could be taken away from you tomorrow, or something which you could be taken away from right now. What kind of treasure is that? You could be poor in a moment's notice. But if the thing that you set your eyes on, if the thing that you treasure is something of eternal permanence, 
then you can never be poor. It's permanent by its very nature. Now we know what earthly treasure is. You'll see 20 billboards on your way home that tell you all the things that you need to be happy. And probably none of them will be permanent things. We're bombarded by it all the time so we know exactly what it is. What is this spiritual currency, this sort of treasure that's permanent? I believe, personally, that the greatest treasure of all is God Himself in Christ. And I believe that the greatest currency that he has is love. And if you will learn to treasure your relationship to your God, the love that he has for you, the love that you have for him, and in return the love that you have for each other. If you treasure this far and away above the things that come and the things that go, then you will always be rich. Whether you're in a physical body or in a spiritual dwelling place or with Christ when he returns, that currency cannot die. God knows no end. And the love of God that he puts in our hearts is not something that can decay or be taken away from you. What can separate you from the love of Christ Paul asked in Romans can death can persecution can suffering can pain can the government no no not even death and hell itself can separate you from that treasure so what do you treasure I'm going to ask you some questions. Do you hold things loosely and hold on to him tightly or the other way around? Do you hold things loosely and hold on to God tightly or is it the other way around? Are you quick to give and live generously or quick to explain why you can't? If it was all taken away tomorrow in the blink of an eye, would you be devastated or could you be content without it? If we can't be content without luxuries, that's revealing, isn't it, of where our treasure is. But if you treasure what can never be taken, you'll always be rich. I want to share with you just a couple of really practical things that believers have done for generations and generations and generations to, to try and transfer their gaze, to fix their eyes on treasure that's permanent. 
instead of treasure that's temporary. It's not easy. You know, and of course, hearing the truth is a beginning. Thinking about the truth is a great thing to do. But sometimes we might need to stretch ourselves and make ourselves feel a little uncomfortable so that we can learn the truth, not just up here, but actually see that it's true and experience that it's true. And so there are things that disciples of Jesus who see him as teacher and his ideas is worth spreading have been doing for a long time. In a way, some of them are similar to the concept of fasting, which we've more or less abandoned, I think, although it's coming back in vogue through like dieting people that say, you know, maybe you've heard of intermittent fasting and things like that. People are finding out that, oh, hey, it's actually healthy to give your stomach a break sometimes um, and let, let things, you know, work out for a little while. And I'm sorry, we're going to go somewhere else there. So, <laughs> but the, the whole reason that fasting is so powerful spiritually is that you're finding out that your stomach is not your God. It does not rule you. It's not your master. You are the master of your stomach, not the other way around. That every time you feel a little hunger pain, you know, it's not in charge. It's not the boss. You are. And, and so you, uh, you are saying, you know, God, you're more important than food. Uh, my need for food does not trump you. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not going to be dominated and a slave to something like appetite. Uh, well, similarly with money, there's things that we do. It's like fasting from money, I guess. Uh, so one of those would just be the concept of frugality. Right? Being frugal, which is something that we tend to think of as like a personality trait. Oh, she's frugal. He's not. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the struggle of many marriages. You know, you've got one person that's frugal and the other person that's not. And uh, then they end up in counseling. But practicing frugality on purpose, well, that's a way of saying, okay, what can we do without? What can I do without? I'm going to purposefully get by with less. I'm going to spend less on things that I don't have to have. I'm going to find out if it's on clearance somewhere before I just go buy the full price thing. I'm going to learn to be frugal. Uh, to step it up from there, you might take it up to the next notch. Like if you're comfortable being frugal, then you've learned something. Congratulations, you've got more to learn. So the next level would be maybe sacrifice. And this is much harder. This is what happens when you can't spare it, but you give it anyway. You can't really do without it, but you find a way to do without it anyway. It doesn't feel like this is just a want. It feels kind of like a necessity. Those bills keep coming, but you're going to sacrifice. You're going to dig a little deeper. It reminds me of the widow that Jesus saw who put in just a little bit into an offering plate and Jesus said, you know what? She gave way more than those rich guys that just came through and dumped all their change in there so it was loud for everybody to hear. Yeah, she gave a lot more than them. Like they had all their spare change. They gave it. That's nice. Yay, we'll use it for good. What she gave was everything. 
She had her eyes set on different treasure. And probably the way that she got there was by being sacrificial on purpose. People don't get that way by staying comfortable all the time. They get that way by stretching themselves in faith, believing, okay, do I really believe that there's a treasure that's better than this treasure? Let's find out. I'm going to write the check. I'm going to give that poor guy something anonymously, even though I don't really have it to spare. I'm going to try this, even though it's kind of scary. I'm going to do without this thing that I've never done without before. There's another one that the church has taught since Old Testament days. It's just like a, a standard practice of people who believe in God for so many generations. And maybe you've heard of it. It's called tithing. And it's where people take 10% when they first get their money and give that back to God. Like the first 10%. That's the, that's the idea that as soon as you get something, the very first part of it, you give back to God. In fact, in Genesis, Cain and Abel, Abel took the first fruits, the primary things that came from his flock, the very best of the first income he got and gave it to God. And God loved that. He loved his heart. So people have been doing this since the beginning. They, they give of the first things. It took me a while to figure out um, that in my paycheck that uh, Uncle Sam was getting the first part. That made me mad. So he takes it out before you even get it. <laughs> Cheating. So you have to go back and figure out how much did you have before Uncle Sam stole some and then give that 10% so that you're still giving God the first part and you're sticking it to the man. What's the point of that? So that churches can build bigger buildings and pay more staff? Or so that you remember every single month that everything that you have is God's anyway? A reminder that you wouldn't have a dime if he didn't allow you to have a dime, if he didn't create this world and create you and give you your breath, your strength, everything comes from him. And so we tithe to remind ourselves of that. Three things, practical. Maybe you already tithe. Maybe you don't. Maybe that's a starting point for you. To remind yourself this is all his anyway. Or maybe it's the whole frugal thing. Like, that's a new concept for you, so dive in. Try it out. Or maybe you tithe and you're frugal. Would you dare to be sacrificial? Sacrificially generous. And in stretching yourself and in being uncomfortable in that way, what... Whatever is your next step, it's going to probably make you uncomfortable, whether that's trying to be frugal 
or trying to sacrifice or trying to tithe for the first time or whatever the case may be. It's going to make you uncomfortable. And there's going to be times where it doesn't feel possible. But in doing it, we'll learn that there's a treasure that can never be taken and that if that is what we treasure, we'll always be rich. If this makes you anxious, good news, next week we talk about anxiety. Before you get stressed out about the cost of following Jesus and trying his crazy ideas out, consider the cost of not following Jesus and trying his ideas out. Let's say that right now you sat down and wrote down your ultimate Christmas list. All-time ultimate Christmas list. Everything that you could ever want. You make a list of it. And when you get home from church today, it's all sitting in your front lawn. It's just sitting there in all its glory and splendor. And let's say you wake up tomorrow morning and you get a notification that $10 million has been anonymously deposited into your account. Things are going well. You're having a good week already. Let's say that Wednesday morning you walk into work and your boss calls you in and says, look, you've been a faithful employee. I know you're not really retirement age yet, but we want to offer you this incredible retirement package just to do what you want to do with the rest of your life and we'll pay for it. Man. And then let's say Wednesday morning, you never wake up. Who gets all the stuff that was in your front lawn today? Who gets all the money in your bank account? Maybe your heirs? You know they're going to blow it in a generation or two. They always do. Just read. <laughs> it's like scientific fact. <laughs> That's why they say the vast majority of millionaires are first generation. They didn't inherit it. Because people who inherit it blow it. What's going to happen to all of it? What if you spent your whole life stressing out over money and stuff and in the end find out that you're dirt poor and what matters with permanence? But what if you learn now to start focusing on and treasuring that which is permanent? Which nothing, not even death, not even Satan himself can take away from you. Then you'll always be rich. Because that which you treasure will always be yours. Their idea is worth spreading, aren't they? We believe there's a better way. And it's possible that you can live it. 
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for every blessing, every good thing. Thank you for your provision for us, for the food, the shelter, the clothing that we need, that you provide so faithfully. God, we confess that we struggle with a desire for material things that often far outpaces our needs and our desire for spiritual things. The Holy Spirit, change our hearts and our minds as we pursue your better way of life. Give us the grace to transform our desires that we could find our greatest joy in storing up a different sort of treasure, a treasure of the heavens that will never fade. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.